Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Are You a Robot? Today, we are talking to none other than Navrina Singh. I'm Navrina Singh. I'm the CEO and founder of Credo AI. Uh, we are building the first comprehensive and continuous AI governance so that enterprises can build artificial intelligence with the highest ethical standards. So in case this is your first time joining us, I would love to give you a brief explanation of what we're doing here and why we're doing it before we jump into the full conversation. My name is Dimitrios Brinkman. I am the host. And this is a series where we aim to tackle some of the greatest challenges and questions that come up around AI and related technologies. The way that we're doing that is by gathering some of the best and brightest minds in their respective fields to come on here, talk with me about what it is they're doing, how they see the current state of affairs, and if there's anything that we need to watch out for, or if there are any best practices that we can all take away as a community. Speaking of communities, we have got a community started around these very themes and topics. It is called the Are You a Robot community. We have a Slack channel. You can go into the description and find a link to join the Slack channel. Please come in, introduce yourself, let us know if any of this is of interest to you. Last but not least, I will mention that this season we have a new and incredible sponsor and I want to give them a huge shout out before we jump into the conversation. For humanity, many of you have probably heard of, they are doing some amazing things. For those who do not know what For Humanity is, it's an organization that focuses on developing an infrastructure of trust in AI and autonomous systems through independent audits of AI systems. So lucky for us, they have been kind enough to power this whole season. And I would encourage you to check them out. You can find a link to the For Humanity website in the description below. Have a look if you're into this kind of stuff and you would like to know more about what they're doing with the audits of AI systems. You can also find some of the For Humanity fellows that we have interviewed in past seasons, like Shay Brown or the founder of For Humanity, Ryan Carrier himself. So that is about all I have for now. Let's jump into this episode with Navrina, and I hope you all enjoy. Are you a robot? Navrina, I am very excited to talk to you again. It has been really mind-opening the first time that we chatted, and I'm happy that we get to do it again. I think it would be a great start if we could learn a little bit about your story and how you ended up creating this company, what your background is, and just a, a little bit more color around what brought you to this place you're at right now. Yes, absolutely. First and foremost, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Um, I love the guests that you've had so far and the insights that they've been sharing um, and, and very excited to share, you know, what really got me to build Credo AI and, and what we are trying to disrupt right now. So I grew up in a very small town in India to a very um, humble beginning. My dad was in the Indian Army for 40 years, and my mom was a teacher converted to a fashion designer. 
And so as you can imagine between them, they literally had zero overlap or interest in science. Uh, however, one of the beautiful things growing up in such a diverse environment was really the, uh, the encouragement from them to really just go and solve problems. As you can imagine, growing up in India, uh, there are a lot of pervasive community problems uh, that, you know, especially coming from middle class, you get to encounter day in, day out. So my parents from an early age, they really, you know, um, encouraged me to think about the choices I was making because that's going to end up creating the story um, that I'm going to build for myself. And for, for them, it was all about finding community problems, societal issues, and making sure that I was putting my skills uh, to solving those. And the areas that I really cared about growing up, uh, which got me excited, was, you know, really around math and physics. How can I take some of the foundations of science and bring it to solving real-world problems? So I ended up doing engineering and uh, did my master's from University of Wisconsin-Madison in electrical engineering. And right out of school, I uh, was recruited by a company in Southern California called Qualcomm. And the reason they excited me was this powerful vision and mission the founder, Dr. Irvin Jacobs, had, which was really around connecting the world through communication. And what a powerful use of technology. I'm, I'm a big believer in technology is just a tool. And really the, the benefits or the negatives of that depends upon how we end up using it. So right out of school, trying, you know, trying to get this ability to build massively scalable communication systems that is going to enable me to have communication with my parents who were back home in India was, um, was a very inspiring mission to join. So I joined uh, Qualcomm's research and development team, spent 13 exciting years at the company, rose up the ranks, and ended up being the head of innovation where we were bringing brand new technologies to the company to grow our emerging businesses. So as you can imagine, Qualcomm, which sort of is the plumbing to the communication, the mobile ecosystem that exists right now, my team was the first one to bring in machine learning and artificial intelligence to Qualcomm so that we could grow into new areas. And some of the new areas we were tackling were collaborative robots and supply chain. How do you think about computer vision and automotive, et cetera? So ended up creating a brand new business for the company and then was recruited by Microsoft to help with commercialization of their early R&D technologies in, in artificial intelligence. And the fascinating part here is that, you know, Microsoft had been doing machine learning for 25 plus years before I joined them. But we're under the new leadership, uh, especially with, you know, the, the innovation that Satya Nadella was bringing to the team and the company, there was this unique opportunity for us to really build trust with the end enterprise customers. And my charter in the beginning was really to enable the enterprise customers to sort of pull in these machine learning capabilities and bake new uh, enterprise experiences that could help them along in their journey. Uh, ended up being a part of a very impressive team, uh, which was focused on no-code, low-code um, conversational AI experiences, where we started to really dive deeper into how can we abstract the complexity of machine learning from these enterprise applications. And what that really means is, you know, you don't, have to be an AI engineer. You don't have to be a data scientist, 
But even if you're coming from, let's say, marketing or finance, how can you leverage and build AI applications like chatbots that can serve your purpose? And I would say that that really was where the seeds for uh, AI governance got planted four to five years ago, because as we were building these systems, what became very clear was we were using the old software methodologies and the traditional DevOps to build these solutions, which are not just technical, they are techno technical and societal. And then how do you ensure that we were thinking about the societal implications of machine learning applications? And, and you know, having a team of data scientists and designers and product managers, we were really incentivized to put out the highest performing model out in the market and, and really deliver that at speed. But we weren't really very intentional about taking a step back and thinking about the guardrails, the policies, the compliance checks that we should be doing as we are building these AI applications. So I would say that's where the seeds really got planted around what should we be doing to manage, to measure, and to continuously monitor not only the risk these systems are going to present to our society, but also to ensure that the opportunities that they afford us as an enterprise, we are not missing those. And um, so during this time, uh, you know, I also got appointed as a young global leader with World Economic Forum, which was really fascinating journey because I sat on their Council of AI. And this is when European Commission, Canadian government, and other countries were starting to plant the seeds of AI strategy and start to think about AI regulations. And getting like the front seat to looking at how these diverse stakeholders coming from policy, coming from some of the brilliant minds in technology, were sort of coming together to collectively frame the conversations around soft or hard regulation. Uh, and being part of that was really exciting and, and saw the writing on the wall that the next frontier of trusted economies is going to be good governance. And that's what really helped uh, you know, me get on this journey. We, I started a nonprofit on the site called Merit Marketplace for Ethical and Responsible AI Tools. Ended up connecting with Mozilla in the process. Joined the Mozilla Board of Directors to guide their trustworthy AI mission, uh, which has been really great to see as Mozilla is disrupting uh, going from open internet to now trustworthy internet and then being part of the journey. And so during this uh, past, I would say, three years, it became very clear that the hallmark of trusted brands in the future is not going to be how they're building and deploying AI, but it is going to be how they scale AI so that it is in service of humanity. And I strongly believe that good governance is going to be what's going to make it happen. And that is where the genesis of Credo AI is and then started the company last year in March and we've been growing in the pandemic. Wow, what a track record. So I have to ask, you were dealing with chatbots at Microsoft. Were you there when the whole fiasco <laughs> went down? Was that your team? Hopefully not, but... <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't think about it as fiasco. I actually think about it as learning. Um, no, it was not my team. Um, that happened about a year before I joined Microsoft. But I would say that you know, those are the moments that define uh, what a good versus a great company is. And I think that moment defined for Microsoft that it is going to be a great company 
because the leadership really took that to heart and did some um, intentional changes to make it right. And and I, you know, being in that environment and seeing how we were, you know, shifting from just a DevOps to intentional DevOps, but yet still moving slowly because, you know, big corporations move very slowly. And I, as a renegade, I wanted to move things faster to bring solutions to market faster. And I think that's what um, landed me at Credo AI. What were some of the things that you could feel as like ripple effects from that learning experience, as you call it? Yeah, you know, what a great question. Um, you know, one, and we've seen this over and over again with new technologies. Uh, when a new technology comes to market, uh, there is this breakneck speed with which it starts to influence different aspects of business and our lives. And artificial intelligence and machine learning is no different. The pace with which it has accelerated, especially since I think 2012, after ImageNet, um, and then kudos to Dr. Fefe Lee and others, what we have seen is this massive acceleration of experimentation with machine learning. And now we are in this next phase of scaling with artificial intelligence. But what I have seen is in that speed of technology development and use, unfortunately, we sort of didn't pay attention to how it needs to be governed and how do we need to put the right guardrails in place so that not only are we paying attention to it when things go wrong in production, but we are very intentional about it from the time we are starting to think about an idea that potentially could use machine learning. And so I would say that the first learning for us was how this oversight deficit has been created because there's been this fast pace of technology innovation and artificial intelligence, which has been led by the technology stakeholders coming from data science and machine learning. However, the business side, which is coming from policy and compliance and audit, unfortunately have not been brought into that conversation. And as you can imagine, because of the because of this, you know, desperate um, range of expertise that exists, there's been this AI governance chasm or the oversight deficit that has been created that is super critical for organizations to start not only managing but actively acting on so that you know they're not just waiting for something to go wrong in production, that they're very intentional about it at every step of the life cycle of machine learning development to put out a technology that is going to serve their consumers, that is going to serve their brand, that is going to serve their business interests, that is going to serve the end consumer's needs in a much more uh, holistic manner. So I would say that was the biggest learning that I'm bringing to in, in founding Credo AI and making sure that enterprises are not using AI governance as an afterthought, but as a very intentional first step in, in accelerating and scaling artificial intelligence. So I love the idea of the deficit that you're talking about. And I also really like this idea of you talking about how it's not how we're deploying machine learning models, it's how we're scaling them. And the importance of how we are doing that and how we're making sure that we have governance really effectively in our blood when we do that. What exactly do you mean by that though? Like, can we double click on that 
Absolutely. So, you know, in the past, I would say two to three years, we've started to hear terminology like responsible and trustworthy and ethical. And there's been a lot of, I would say, ethics washing that's happening in the space, especially as people are recognizing how closely tied in, um, you know, artificial intelligence is to the direct societal impacts. So we really take a step back and ask us ourselves, what does responsibility mean to us? And then, you know, for me, it is really around saying what you're going to do and then following through and committing to doing those right things. But that is the output. But how do you basically steer the development, the design, the deployment of these technologies so that those responsible outcomes can actually be arrived at is what governance is dealing with. And so what we think about and how we define AI governance is really this discipline of ensuring oversight and bringing organizational accountability that extends way beyond just technology. It extends to legal framework. It extends to your communication framework. It extends to your marketing framework to ensure that at every step of the stage where you're thinking about bringing machine learning uh, to market, that you've actually very intentionally not only thought about the populations it's impacting, where is the use case going to be deployed, what is the context, which region, where is the data coming from, what kind of modeling techniques will you be using, have you done appropriate testing, whether it is in fairness domain or whether are you able to explain the outcome. So there's a plethora of key questions that we should be sort of stepping back and asking in this end-to-end -end AI life cycle to ensure that that responsible action is actually delivered on when this application gets deployed at scale. So going back to the question on the, the experimentation versus scaling, you know, the past couple of years, we've seen a lot of these centers of excellence get formed within organizations, and they're just trying to figure out, do we actually need true machine learning? What does AI mean for my enterprise? And is that something that we should be bringing in? But now we've started to see um, you know, the AI first companies deploying machine learning applications at scale, whether it is in fraud models, whether it is in portfolio optimizers, whether it is in facial recognition or in recommender system and, and a plethora of other use cases. And with this scale comes additional responsibility to make sure that AI governance is not an afterthought, that all those checks and balances that you were talking about were actually happening throughout the life cycle. And this is what we see a lot um, with some of the enterprise customers. They're like, no, if we have production systems and we are monitoring them, that's good. But that's a very reactive approach to solving a problem when your models already are not doing what they're meant to do. And what Credo AI's focus is to make it more holistic, to make it more proactive, and to make it more continuous and comprehensive. And then that's what we are disrupting uh, in today's market. Yeah, and it's also you're looking at something that is really focusing on the technology, but not on the bigger questions behind it. If you're just monitoring models in production, that's great on the technology side of things, making sure that the models are doing what they say they're going to do. But like you said, you also need these bigger questions before you even get that far, before you're looking at the models in production and you've gone through and burned through all those resources to get them there, there's some key questions that need to be answered. And 
So I'm wondering, I mean, you gave a lot of different use cases there between the recommender systems or the facial recognition. How are you looking at the differences in those and making sure that you're asking the right questions for the right type of use case? Yeah, great question. Um, and I love to lead with case studies. So one of our enterprise customers um, is one of the largest um, financial services organization in the world. They are Global 2000. And across their entire enterprise, we are working across different use cases. So let's take the example of a risk scoring uh, algorithm. Now, as you can imagine, this risk scoring algorithm as an input is taking a lot of credit card transaction data. And then based on that credit card transaction data, and I'm, I'm obviously oversimplifying it here, but based on that credit card transaction data, they're creating a score uh, which basically gets associated with you as to what is the risk score of Navrina versus what is the risk score of somebody else. And that risk score is then made available to issuer banks so that the issuer banks on their own end can make decisions uh, to provide certain services to these, end to these consumers. So the question then begs is, based on the credit card transaction, how much can I know about that person? Can I, from a zip code, figure out maybe the ethnicity of that individual? Can we, um, based on how much and where they are spending, figure out is that a person, a male, female, what age group they are part of? Are they a parent, not a parent? So you'll be surprised that embedded in a lot of these transactions is identity or a sampling of society that could be utilized in a way that could potentially create desperate impact. So as we are working with these companies, the question then begs is, yes, sure, you can use some of these protected attributes, but are they in service of the end consumer or by chance that they are introducing some unfairness so that there is a desperate treatment afforded to the end consumers. And, and, you know, those, as you can imagine, are some heavy questions. And what Credo AI really helps is really thinking about it holistically again. Starting from the time you're thinking about the AI application, there's a risk scoring application. Who are the populations we totally believe could be impacted? Where are we going to be sourcing our data from? Are we going to do a very detailed review of these data sources? Is it coming from census? Is it coming from some other data vendors? Or is it synthetic data? And, and how confident can we be in predicting the populations that it's impacting? And can we, as we go down in the development lifecycle, validate that at least within the context of what we know, we've done our best to ensure that there is no unfair outcomes at the end? So Credo AI basically sort of is a guardian angel that holds you uh, accountable and provides you oversight and provides you support as you're marching down this life cycle, as you're make, building your models, as you're putting those models in an application, and as you are doing testing and validation, and then as you are deploying them in production to make sure that everything that you had committed to upfront in watching and overseeing, you're actually doing that. And as you can imagine, that is really critical because right now you have this suite of ML ops tools, which by the way are fantastic because they are enabling companies to experiment faster, to build great models, to serve these models in production. But the issue with ML ops right now as um, 
as a holistic group is that it's not really enabling those multiple stakeholders, especially from compliance risk, to really show up strongly and bring their expertise into the ML ops ecosystem so that they can say, hey, data scientists, did you think about X, Y, and Z, right? And, and, and that's the intentionality that Credo AI is really bringing. Uh, and then we partner extensively with ML ops ecosystem. We partner with GRC tools because we think about ourselves as the system of governance that sits on top of whatever your infrastructure is and really is pulling in people um, together to have those conversations and to also interrogate the models to ensure that they are doing what they were meant to do from the time you started to design them. So how do you look at this trade-off of using some of this potentially identifiable data and creating a better model? So maybe you do have zip codes as a feature in your model and it potentially can create bias, but it gives you a better model that is able to make better predictions. When you're thinking about that, those kind of trade-offs, what do you think about and why? You know, this is where I think the, the need for AI governance is further bolstered. Because again, if you view it from a data scientist perspective or from an engineering manager perspective, I would just care about the accuracy. I want the most accurate model. And guess what? The more exactly. protected variables I feed in, the better it is going to be. But right there, there's a problem. And this is where the, the intentionality and bringing in diverse voices becomes really critical. We should be asking ourselves, maybe the performance is not that great, but if it is good enough, at the same time, it is ensuring that there is no unfair outcomes. And I can, as a stakeholder, understand what the model is doing through you know, explainable techniques. And I can also explain it to the end consumers or to enterprises that I'm selling into. That's the pathway that we are encouraging the companies to take, which is it's not always about best performing models. It is really about a model that serves the need that can be explained, that has been rigorously tested, and that within the confines of what you as an enterprise has defined what good looks like is accomplishing those outcomes. And then we help the companies package that into a social proof of good governance. You know, think about model cards. I think they're such a fantastic transparency method. We are expanding and extending on model cards even further to include decision provenance as to what were the decisions made throughout the building, designing, deployment of these systems that we can then capture in, in this audit log and then share with the customers to give them confidence that within the context of what we know as good, because right now there are not many standards and the few standards we have, we've obviously reviewed them as well. So within the context of the few standards we have externally and the internal standards we've created and the requirements we've got from you, here is how our system is doing. And that in itself, leading with that honesty, leading with that transparency, leading with that explanation is what we believe is the first step to good governance. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because we had Noah Gift on the show uh, last season, I think. And he was talking about how embarrassing it is when you have so many smart people like you do at Google 
or YouTube for this specific example, and you're optimizing for one thing, which is watch time. And then you create models that feed, you have a recommendation system that feeds in different conspiracy theory videos to people because it optimizes for this watch time. And you're not going back and you're not asking the question that is, should we really be trying to optimize for watch time? Because you, like you said, you have the data scientists and the machine learning engineers who have their goal of optimizing for a certain metric. And then that metric ends up creating a whole lot of problems downstream, which you can't really forecast for unless you're asking these bigger questions. So I think that is a great way of putting it. The other thing that I think would be good to talk about, you mentioned model scorecards. For those of us that do not know what that means, can you break that down? Absolutely. So I, I do want to address two things uh, before I get into model cards and, and the transparency mechanism. You know, I think you bring up something really fascinating around what are we optimizing for and how who decided on what we need to be optimizing for. And going back to something I said earlier was currently we were treating artificial intelligence as a technology problem only. So we were up optimizing for metrics uh, around accuracy and precision recall. By the way, don't get me wrong, like a lot of my past teams, we were like, oh, we've we've already met human level competency in speech, or we've already met human level competency in computer vision, which is amazing, but to what end? And where is it getting applied? And we 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 treated it as a very technical problem. I think the shift that needs to happen is it's a socio-technical problem. So the metrics we need to define, the metrics we need to optimize, the metrics we need to integrate into our systems, and more importantly, the outcome of those testing around those metrics, how we translate that into easily understandable by different stakeholders is really critical. And this is one of the core capabilities within Credo AI, where you know we are not saying, oh, hey, here is a new fairness method you should be using. There are enough open source fairness tools which do a fantastic job, whether it is AIF360 or FairLearn. But the problem that companies have using these tools is how do we know what good looks like and who's defining that good set of metrics? And if it is just your data science team and technical team defining those metrics, know that that is not the right approach to good governance. So what Credo enables is this alignment on these metrics based on the use case where these models are going to show up and really thinking again about the contextual use case in terms of how do we integrate that back into good governance and create this translation layer so that I, coming from risk, can take the statistical view and convert that into a risk view for my organization and sort of have a trend of how that risk is changing from the time I started to think about the solution to the time I deployed it in market and are there any alerts that happen when the risk basically goes outside the bounds of what I had defined for my enterprise? And I think that is a brand new paradigm that Credo AI is really trying to uh, bring to the forefront that you know it's not just about the metrics, it's about how did you arrive at those metrics? How did you align them? How did you translate them to your business goals? And more importantly, did you make sure to bring in these multiple personas 
not only from data science, but also from oversight together to arrive at that. So that's on the align, integrate, and then translate component. You ask a really great question. How do you actually sort of share that information across the organization so that irrespective of the domain you're coming from, you understand what that model is doing? And before I go into that, as an example, right now, you know, when models go wrong or and people talk a lot in terms of model and something that we are encouraging them to do is talk in terms of AI solution because your AI solution can have multiple models under it and that AI solution could be very, it is very contextual, which region it is deployed in, what is the production environment it is deployed in, et cetera. So for us, you know, it is really around when something breaks in production, who is being called, right? And and right now it is the data science or the machine learning engineer. And there's a problem right there with that because someone who has to handle risk for the organization is actually coming from risk, risk function or from compliance or even from marketing function. Can they be enough educated about what happened in that AI application and why it is failing so that you can proactively and in a very collaborative way figure out what might have transpired um, and then why it fell outside the bounds. And this is where I think the model cards and then model scores or AI application cards become really critical because these AI application cards, think about them as nutrition labels uh, for your different foods that you buy at grocery store. You will never now buy something without really understanding the contents. And I think we are reaching that stage with machine learning systems and AI applications, whether I'm buying a vendor model or whether something I've built in-house, I want to know exactly what went into it. Not only what was the intended use of this application, how many models are actually powering that application, what were the modeling techniques used, where did the data come from, how did I align on those metrics, what were the aligned metrics utilized, who provided oversight? Was it just your data science team or did we also bring in data and privacy? Did we bring in compliance? Did we bring in audit? Who finally is going to be accountable for things when they don't go right? And potentially what could not go right in production? So you can think about these model cards as this nutrition label, which contains all that information, but translated in a mechanism which is understandable by different stakeholders. So I I always think about it as a buffet of model cards, which serves different stakeholders. So, you know, whatever you like, you can choose from it. But as a technical stakeholder, I might just care about the metrics. As a risk stakeholder, I just care about what was the, you know, brand, financial or regulatory risk of this particular AI application. As an audit person, I might just care about, did I follow all the processes and where might there be a process breakdown? And so what we are doing is we are augmenting what, Google had come up with in terms of model cards and extending that to AI solution cards so that there is this complete transparency across the organization and an understanding of the accountability stakeholders and the structures within the enterprise. So it seems to me like with that, you're going to need to integrate into each specific part of the business that these AI solutions touch. And are you trying to, I guess the main question, which I think we've discussed before is how do you make that as lightweight as possible so you don't get pushback from 
all of these different stakeholders that you're just giving them more overhead and more work. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Governance for the longest time was a dirty word and we are making it sexy again. <laughs> and especially in the context of scaling uh, AI applications. And so the focus really should be on what is the business outcomes if I don't manage and understand potential downsides of building this AI application. So I think it really has to be um, this notion of not just focusing on model metrics as an example, but really around, could this potentially, this is a $50 billion upside to my business. What are the potential risks that this particular application could expose my organization to? Does this still serve my end consumers in the way that we've thought about? I think really lifting our conversations and changing the narrative from just a model doing something to an application disrupting the world, I think that is the context that we are trying to bring. And when we have what we have noticed in the enterprise customers we are working with, they've started to become super intentional about the fact that as one of the ways that AI is going to scale is if there is this bedrock of good governance. And yes, there might be this initial overhead where there is this pausing and thinking and and uh, this multi-stakeholder discussion, but is that in the interest of these bigger business objectives? And what we are finding with our customers, it is not just about managing regulatory risk or brand risk or financial risk. If done right, this good governance actually is helping them unlock more sales opportunities. It's helping them gain more customer trust, helping them retain customers longer. It is also helping them acquire new customers. It's helping them actually see the ROI on their AI in ways that they had not seen before. So when you see those benefits and you talk about those benefits in the context of what you're building, I think that's where change happens. And then lastly, I'm sure that you know, with any technology, when think about digital transformation, when that was a buzzword and companies were trying to get on cloud. So initially everyone had concerns about getting on cloud, but then there were certain guardrails and standards and certifications that came to being to ensure that as you were migrating to cloud, not only did you understand the benefits of it, but it was secure and safe. And that's what customers wanted. And, and so we are seeing a very, the same story play out with artificial intelligence. Now we are at a, a time in place where as these AI applications are scaling, good governance is good business and it is becoming the bedrock of trusted brands. And, and that's why companies are engaging in, in saying, hey, let's not just think about ML ops. Let's not just think about GRC tools. Let's think about how can we create the system of governance so that we can be very responsible and actionable for the applications we are putting out. So I like that you mentioned this emphasis and focus on being responsible can help a business and it can bolster the business in a way that we don't necessarily hear talked about that much. And I often hear it and I often look at it as there's the competing two ways that a business will operate. And one is economics and the other is ethics. And so those are in contention with each other. 
when you talk about how you've seen companies go through this and it's actually helped them in a way that they didn't think possible, can you give us a few ways that it was done right? So um, I would say we are still in the early, early innings of showing whether it is done right, but the early proof points are very, very, um, you know, providing a lot of confidence. So a couple of ways that our customers are using good governance is, um, I, you know, I'll take example of um, a company that we are working with. It's a large cloud provider. They have a lot of AI services. And these AI services can range from speech recognition, facial recognition, all the way to, um, you know, recommender systems, something we've discussed in the past. And what they found was that as they were making these services uh, available to their enterprise customers, their procurement cycles could be anywhere from nine to 12 months because the enterprises that they're buying these AI solutions from this company would obviously investigate uh, the performance of these systems, would try and tune it to their data to see how these systems would continue to perform in their context. And as you can imagine, there's a whole slew of third-party risk assessment that they had to do as they're going through this process. So I'll give you an analogy here, similar to how SOC 2 really has enabled transformation of third-party risk assessment. AI governance is bolstering the trust that the customers have within Credo AI to say, hey, by the way, not only can I get confidence in the, the quality of the performance of these AI systems, but now I also have this record of how the system was built. Who were the players within this organization that were involved in launching the service? How did they get their data and how did they do their testing? Now I can see this entire record. And that transparency is what it's enabling is it's helping reduce that procurement life cycle from nine months to four months. And it's similar, very, very similar to, I would say, SOC 2. And we think about ourselves as sort of like, if you, you, know, if you want to create an analogy here, it is you know, what companies like Vanta are doing for SOC 2, Credo AI is doing for AI governance, where now I have this upfront proof of not only how, you know, how great this AI performance of the service is, but how it was built. So what we are finding is the contentious, uh, I, I love your two vectors of economics and ethics, we are actually seeing them sort of come together where responsible AI is becoming an equal citizen in these conversations. And, and it is one of the key parameters that companies are saying, hey, if I'm going to buy your AI solution, show me proof of how you governed it. And if you show me proof, we can accelerate your procurement Obviously, we, we have more confidence in this partnership. And then down the line, you know, we will continue to be your customer. So what we are seeing now is these early success stories around the economics and ethics coming together to really put responsible AI governance as an equal citizen in the enterprise strategy for good business. What do you feel like are some unknowns when it comes to AI governance? You know, uh, for AI governance, we are still in very early innings. Um, there are a couple of things that are still shaping up uh, within an enterprise. As you can imagine, the companies are thinking about 
who is responsible for AI governance? Should it be someone from technical side or should it be, you know, the traditional risk functions? And those kind of conversations are happening as we speak. And we are actually enabling a lot of companies to really put those accountability structures. The other questions they're asking themselves is, is this the time? Should we wait for regulations? Is there some sort of even more regulatory burden that we'll have to deal with? And should we let that shape up first before we actually start to act on AI governance? Um, which, by the way, is a very myopic view because there are already existing regulations, uh, you know, SR 11.7, there are requirements and FTC is coming out pretty strongly in the space, talking about how businesses need to be very intentional about their applications. So there are already existing soft laws and regulations and regulatory guidance. So companies should not be waiting for it. But that is top of mind question for, for, for them. Then the third question they are asking is, you know, how do we really make this seamless and not an overhead similar to what you were asking? And then what we are seeing is that's where the differentiation between the companies who understand scaling artificial intelligence needs good governance versus companies who are still experimenting with artificial intelligence. You can see the remarkable difference uh, between their approaches. And then like some of the other questions that um, I would say that challenges is how do we over time ensure that there is this persona metamorphosis happening? And let me define what that means. What we are seeing is, and, and you know, experts have spoken about it for the longest time around reskilling and retraining that AI might take our jobs or new jobs might be created. And what we are seeing with governance uh, in artificial intelligence is this notion of persona metamorphosis wherein I might be coming from compliance organization, but I need to have enough empathy for data science function, for machine learning function, that I need to learn a little bit more about those functions so that I can bring my compliance expertise to bear and then put the right guardrails in place. And similarly, what we are seeing on the data science side, especially the leaders who are made accountable for these applications, is they are sort of inching towards, I need to understand a little bit more about the risk and what implications could this application have to my business and how can I ensure that whatever I'm building, the right questions are getting asked. So they are sort of inching towards and becoming empathetic with the oversight professionals. And so the beautiful thing that we are obviously enabling, but also seeing in the market is this metamorphosis or change where you know personas coming from a specific group are leveraging their core expertise, but also learning about AI, also learning about compliance to ensure that holistically good governance is happening. And so we are going to see, and this is where most of the companies are, they're trying to enable that education. They're trying to reduce that AI expertise gap. And they're trying to figure out from this, what kind of new structures need to exist so that we can do good governance, which is not an overhead, but becomes a part of our culture, becomes a part of our good, um, you know, uh, DevOps as well as CI/CD pipelines, and and more importantly, it becomes really critical for organizations to be able to uh, do this at scale. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I automatically would imagine that a company that is still relatively early in their machine learning journey 
they're not going to be looking at this kind of stuff. They're just trying to figure out if machine learning can actually prove value to the company. So you have to have a certain degree of maturity to find the enormous value that this can bring. Along those lines, though, when you talk about these first two questions, especially that first one, what is your personal stance on that? Who who should be involved? What is the person that needs to be looking at this governance piece? You know, I would say that's an emerging space, but some of the customers that we are working with, uh, we basically are seeing really, truly a diverse collaboration across the data science, product management, compliance, and legal folks. Who ends up taking the responsibility, I would say, really depends upon the organizational structure. So for example, with one of our customers, the core product lead is the one driving governance and sort of collaborating across data science, compliance, and legal personas to ensure that the right evidence for governance has been collected, um, that the right questions are getting asked and the right, you know, uh, translation of that information is happening and the distribution of that information is happening. Whereas for another customer of ours actually coming from governance, uh, governance space, what we are seeing is their compliance team is leading the charter on AI governance. And they are the ones corralling data science and the technical stakeholders to ensure that the compliance requirements set by that organization and, and for that organization are being met. And in case of our third customer, I would say it's a very interesting um, paradigm because they are much ahead on AI maturity. They've actually created a brand new function called AI and data governance. And they have new team members who are responsible for AI governance across all their lines of businesses. So I would say right now we are seeing this um, very different models of governance operation within enterprises based on their maturity level, based on who are the stakeholders who are responsible for business outcomes, and also on how culturally they are set up to share information and, and, and their ability to be more innovative versus more risk averse. So I would say we will continue to see emergence of those models over the next two to three years. And then we are going to start seeing a convergence around either new roles that get created for governance. They might sit under chief compliance officer. They could be under chief risk officer. They could be under chief AI officer, which is obviously a new role that is getting created. But I would say the next two to three years are going to be very telling in terms of what is that group um, that is going to lead AI governance. But we strongly believe that the users are going to be very diverse stakeholders coming from different functions that we've already spoken about, data science, machine learning, um, audit, compliance, legal, policy. And so then there was the second question that you hear come up quite a bit, which at the moment, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember thinking, oh, that's a great question to ask you where you sit. Um, So the second question I had asked is uh, around, you know, should we wait for regulatory um, changes or should we do something about it right now? And again, it goes back to, you know, what your company's ethos and what the aspirations are. So what we are finding is that our customers, whether it is inbound or outbound from our end, 
the customers who are really starting to take AI governance super seriously are very, very committed to ensuring that responsible AI is an equal citizen in their story and in their enterprise journey. And they're using this as a way to create differentiation for their brands. And I would say that, you know, they are the front runners and they've not only seen it from a perspective of building great technology in service of humanity, but they're also seeing this as a great opportunity to be a strong thought leader in what does good governance look like so that as the policy shapes up, as companies start to adopt these new organizational structures that we spoke about, they can be at the front of it leading that charge. So I think the question really um, is for the leaders, do they want to be waiting for others to take charge or do they actually want to establish their organizations as these trusted brands and the hallmark of um, good governance leading, you know, as I keep talking about the the trustworthy economies movement uh, that we've started to see in the market. I love that. And I love the way you frame it because it's so inspiring to think about all these brands that can potentially be the leaders in this space and benefit immensely from it, as we mentioned before. So I know we're coming to the end of our time. I've got one last question for you. I think you know what's coming up. Navrina, are you a robot? Absolutely not. I'm a super creative human that is making sure that these robots always are in service of humanity. Excellent. Well, this has been fascinating. I am really excited to see what you do with Credo AI. I think it's going to be something very special. It already is very special. And where you go from here, we'll all be watching. So all the best as you continue your journey as a founder. And thank you again for coming on here. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. And it's always such a pleasure and and what insightful questions. So thank you so much for the opportunity. 